Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Faircat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined by Mitch from Canada. Mitch, how you doing? I'm good, man. Hello, hello, hello. It's a great day to be Cincinnati Faircat. What's up, man? <laughs> ah, it's good to talk to you again, sir. It's been been a while. I thought we recorded a great podcast together. It was well downloaded, well received. The critics raved about it. However, it was recorded at a time when we were kind of on cloud nine with the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. We were we were very we started to actually praise Wes Miller more than I think people had grown accustomed to from this podcast or from you specifically as well. Um, and I think rightfully so. We saw the the program taking steps forward, and I won't rule that out entirely. We still have taken steps forward. There are positive things to point to, but a lot has changed since that time. A few things. The Tulane collapse happened. The East Carolina collapse happened. UC beat Temple by 30. UC beat Temple twice, actually, which were the first two times the Bearcats program had beaten Temple during the West Miller era. And their season has also been ended by the Houston Cougars again. A 21-point victory, 69-48 in the American Athletic Tournament. We're going to make this an NIT podcast. It's going to be NIT focused, which is unique, which is something I've rarely paid attention to ever. But you are the number one college basketball junkie that I know, and you are desperate to talk NIT basketball. But before we do, I want to give you a chance to reflect on what we experienced from the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team this season, but particularly since we last spoke a few months ago. Yeah, no, it's a great summary. And I, I feel like the, the best way to kind of boil the season down is, is two steps forward, one step back, right? I mean, every time we think we're we're going on a heater, to, to put it in, in one way, um, you know, we end up stumbling at the hands of an actual quality team. And, uh, you know, this time it was Houston, what I believe we're what, 0-5 oh against Houston in, in our time here so far. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a tough run of things, right? I mean, where, you know, you see the, the light at the end of the tunnel and that's a smoking temple by 30 points and everyone's losing their minds. And then we are uh, reminded of right where we sit in the national picture uh, with uh, never even really competing against Houston. And, uh, you know, I, I think if we're if we're keeping it recent, I mean, I, I don't think the Memphis game had happened by, by the time we last spoke either. Right. So basically, you know, Memphis was again, we competed, lost Houston marginally competed I would say showed up and lost um and so it's uh you know the past two years to kind of just kind of zoom out of it is we we just can't win a single big game I mean our our lone big game is uh you know the Illinois win in December Kofi's first came back and outside of that swept in the crosstown shootout haven't beat Memphis haven't beat Houston so um when you put it like that it's uh it's getting kind of getting kind of ugly man it's sobering it's very sobering. I And I think that's sort of the challenge of playing in the American Athletic Conference to an extent. I felt this very much during the football season over the last few seasons where, you know, when you're when you're striving for the playoff and going undefeated and stacking it on top of another undefeated season, you are playing for something. And so you can get up for those games. But when you lose a, a non-conference game to Arkansas and then go into American Athletic play, you know, you want to go undefeated, you want a conference championship, but at the same time, it's like how excited and revved up and, and pumped can I get about a matchup against East Carolina? But not only that, what am I actually learning about my team and about my program? 
And I think that's much more true with the basketball program right now. We don't learn much by playing Temple right now. We don't learn much by playing East Carolina. We don't learn much by playing South Florida. And the unfortunate reality for Wes Miller is that you have nothing to really gain by beating those teams. You're racking up victories. Of course, that's important. You're, you're improving your record as a 40-year under coach and racking up those dubs. But what, But you're not actually measuring your team against competition that matters in the college basketball landscape. And so for me, that's been the biggest struggle is like, he's got nothing to, to gain truly in these wins with these, with these opponents, but he has everything to lose. And so when you lose games to East Carolina, when you lose games to NKU, I mean, they're massive blemishes that frankly, if you didn't have those blemishes, maybe you're flirting as being a bubble team. And honestly, going into the year, being a bubble team was the goal, not even making the tournament, being a bubble team seemed obtainable attainable obtainable to me based on what the conference looked like what the schedule looked like the opportunities for pulling off some some solid victories and it just didn't fully come together this season yeah no that's i mean that's a good way to put it i mean the the biggest thing i think people want to say is like you know if we won a few of the games that we should have won you know you know tulane east carolina like north north northern kentucky like like you know we, we might be on the bubble, but at the end of the day, you need to beat actual tournament teams to get into the tournament. And we have yet to beat a, a tournament team this year. Right. So uh, as much as, as much as it's ideal to look back and say, we, we could have been a bubble team, whatever, you know, bubble, bubble teams don't lose to, they don't go 0 and 5 against teams within their conference that are going to be in the tournament. Right. So um, we're, I still think we're a long way away. And I mean, that's part of why I'm actually revved up for the, the NIT here, because if you kind of look at our season from, you know, just take a couple steps back, right? The Maui Invitational, like with respect, we were always going to be kind of the doormat of that tournament. That was a pretty loaded field and we just weren't at the level of the other teams there. So, you know, we start off in Maui, don't really have success. You know, I, I believe, I think it's fair to say Xavier was the favorite in the Crosstown shootout. Again, lost that game. Let's and also make sure we do, we have to call out the fact that yes, we were, we were, we weren't quite the doormat in Maui because Louisville exists. Whatever, okay. whatever Kenny Payne did at Louisville this year is the doormat of college basketball, not just Maui. Kenny Payne. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're a real one for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, we were never going to be in the semifinals of the Maui. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> and then we, like I say, go into the cross sun shootout. I I don't remember the last time we won the cross sun shootout, which is is getting kind of hard. Um, <laughs> and then transition to the American play where none of the games matter except for against two teams like Wichita State, SMU, they're shells of themselves. Tulane is, I guess, okay at times, but Temple's okay. But I mean, you're really just talking yourselves anew at that point. And none of those teams are really going to sniff relevancy. I mean, UCF, sure, they were good for a little bit, but then like Johnny Dawkins, come on. We, we, we know who Johnny Dawkins is at this point, right? Like, let's be real. Yeah, so, I was having a, a, a crisis of, uh, it was sort of like a, a life event where I realized, Oh man, I'm I'm talking in public, celebrating victories over Johnny Dawkins Central Florida nights. You yeah. know, just painful, a painful yeah. reality to say like this is what's got me jacked. This is what's got me amped. I think I mean that goes back to what me and you talked about, where it's like an ex, you know, a solid game and a half of execution against Tulsa and Central Florida, like put me right back in the spot of thinking that this team is going to go on a run. And, and we saw improvements. I, I I really don't want to be the guy that says nothing's better. The world is ending. It's not, but 
there's there's a lot to still be concerned about. And like you put it, we're just we're a ways away. We're not there. Yeah, no. And and I mean, I think the saddest reflection was like I was watching the Atlantic 10, you know, final, you know, it's BC versus state. And then I was like, hey, we'd actually be competitive in this in this game. And like not not that we'd win, but just that we'd be competitive. And like it's like that's the state that we've come to where I used to be so cocky against Houston. I'm like, you know, we have Kelvin Sampson's number. You know, it doesn't matter what our team looks like. As long as Cincinnati shows up, we're beating Kelvin Sampson. And 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 now, I mean, we're just like, we're just like a, a little, you know, a little damsel on the train tracks, right? <laughs> it's just. I think it's, Kevin. I think Kelvin Sampson loves kicking our ass. Oh, I got to be honest. His Houston teams are always prepared to play us. Yeah. They yeah. know to come out and defend us rapidly like they look so aggressive so locked in against cincinnati in a way that you don't always see against every opponent and i think that comes from years of being on the other side of the coin and being yeah. out toughed by cincinnati during the mccronin years kelvin yeah. sampson loves beating the bearcats i'll also say this it's it was a red flag when i received a text from you about watching the a10 tournament and saying, I would have loved to see how Cincinnati matches up against these two teams, Dayton and VCU. I received the same text in video form from Hummer, who was attending that game in person with his friends from New York City and, and his baby in tow. Like, this is a red flag when you've got two different people, both crazy Bearcat fans, watching the A-10 championship and saying, yeah, it'd be cool to see us play these teams, see how we shake, shake out. Yeah, man, it's it's tough. And I I, I just got to reiterate what you said there with Kelvin. It, it's it's always personal. Like, you know, we 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 took his soul so many times, so many times he thought that he'd he'd hit the peak against us. And Mick just found a way. Jaron found a way, you know, to take his soul there. Right. Like the the last time I think the last time we beat them was the the championship game where Jaron dropped at least over 25 against them pretty much single handed. Right. So like they were I think they were the favorites in that game, but we stole it. Right. So um it's it's always personal i see wes and kelvin in the handshake line and there's no love there you know he's like yeah. get out my way so um <laughs> but yeah i mean transitioning to the atlantic 10 point part of why i'm fired up about the nit tournament is because to me this is the first time that we really have a chance to have an actual test as to what we have against teams that are within our caliber let's say and i'm, I'm still gonna kind of go take a shot at uc here and say a lot of teams in the nit I think are better than UC. Like I, I don't think we'd be favorites in, in very many in in many of these name brand matchups. Um, but at the same time, it's a more fair test because I promise you, even if we made that tournament, we would not want to watch that first game because we're, we're we're getting our asses kicked. So well, like, and like to, this goes back to the point about West Miller and how the American Athletic is currently constituted. The measuring stick was the number one team in the country. Yeah, you know, like Houston's really really good yeah. and there's a lot of really there's a lot of good teams in between kansas houston yeah. ucla and where cincinnati is currently memphis yeah. to me is the perfect kind of example where really good team solid team great measuring stick game the nit it sounds like is going to feature more of those types of opportunities as opposed to up oh, he didn't beat number one houston there goes west again not winning a big game yeah, no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And it's even to just to kind of compare Memphis, right? Like they're actually a really bad matchup for us. Um, just because of how physical they are. Like DeAndre Williams, he's like he's a power forward that we don't have. So between him and Kendrick Davis, like I feel like we're always at a disadvantage because Kendrick's better than any guard we have and Williams is better than any big we have. So 
Um, that duo alone, you know, that's why we keep losing against them, at least this year, in my opinion, not really close. But uh, to kind of go into our matchup against Virginia Tech here, um, really interesting because Virginia Tech is, I would say they offensively play like we do but with a lot more efficiency, um, meaning they actually make more of their shots. And then defensively, um, they are very, very suspect. Like I, I think when it comes to defense, I was looking at Ken Palmer quickly and we're actually kind of a nice blend in Ken Palm. I think we're 55 offense, 65 defense. Um, Virginia Tech is like around 40 offense and like 100 plus defense. So they, they're they a lights out shooting team, like very good at three point shooting, very good at free throws. But when it comes to the actual defensive part, if we can have some identity here and buckle up in, in West Miller fashion, um, or what's allegedly West Miller fashion, we, we should be able to actually kind of turn the tide in this game. Um, but uh, again, if, if, if we have a cold day, Virginia Tech is going to, they're going to run all over us. So it, it's a really interesting matchup that way, where if, like, if we, if we bring our stuff, we, we can actually beat them because they're not going to out physical us. Their bigs are, they have a few, you know, they have a few bigs. Uh, one of them's kind of soft. He can shoot threes, which might be a problem for Vic because if Vic's on him one-on-one, -on -one, I don't really know how good of a perimeter defender Vic is. Um, so it might be a little bit challenging, but in terms of, as I say, out physicaling them, we can actually do that, which is very different than our American like quality counter opponents. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, this is a top, this is a top 40 team in in adjusted offensive efficiency. And it is interesting to look at their profiles, the Ken Palm profiles stacked against one another. They're very similar. You know, they're yeah. both teams that have thrived and the games they have won seem to have been based on solid offensive execution. And defensively, there's there's a lot left to be desired. Um, in terms of speed of play, you know, is is Virginia Tech an offensive team that's attacking through, you know, sets, offensive sets where they're kind of walking the ball up the court and they trust their offense, or are they getting out and running? If they're not an athletic team, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be a fast-paced team. Yeah. But do you have any insight to offer there? Not again, not a ton. I would say they're somewhat of a middle of the road team. I don't know how familiar you are with the coach, but Mike Young, like he he runs really nice sets. So um they're not they're not like a transition offense type team, but they're they're gonna go quick and, and they're gonna get into their stuff and they're gonna take they're gonna take early shots. So like they they want to get up as many shots as possible, I'd say, because they feel like that helps them win the game. So um like like I say, the goal here is to really not let them get hot from three. Um and I mean we just need to be able to attack them because I don't think they have a single player who is, is really um, feared on defense. So as long as we're aggressive and, and, and kind of like, if we're playing up to the alleged West Miller brand in this game, we should realistically win it. Um, but another thing I wanted to say, kind of an overarching theme of the tournament is that there's a lot of teams in this tournament that had preseason expectations and Virginia tech is one of those teams. I think going into the season, anyone would have considered Virginia tech, like a top 30 team. They made the tournament last year, returned most of those pieces. So this is a team with like credibility. Like they've, they've been there. They just had a really bad season in terms of the actual results in the court. And it was really because they couldn't stop anybody defensively. So um, like these, these, these are guys that, you know, they're, they're experienced basketball players, but um, our, our real advantage here has to be um, locking down on defense. And because I, I know that they're not capable of doing that. So if we can lock down, keep them to, you know, you know, keep them to getting passes at times, I think we'll be in a decent spot. 
I, I do think the defense will obviously be important. I, the Bearcats have shown the ability to defend in stretches. Rarely have we seen them put it together for a full game. Even in the Houston game, they held Houston to 69 points. I, they gave up way too many points in the paint. Some of that can be attributed to Houston being a simply more talented team, right? They can drive by UC players. They're bigger than UC players. What I do, what I would look for in this game against Virginia Tech is when you don't have the athleticism to make UC uncomfortable, we should be able to get whatever we want. That hinges upon this team trying to get inside the paint, trying to attack the rim with some level of consistency, which we have seen against weaker opponents. You know, our, our shot distribution doesn't go up toward 50% threes when we're playing inferior opponents. It's only when we're really getting pressed and defended aggressively against the likes of Memphis and Houston, where we seem to cut, get completely out of sorts. We, we cease to attack the rim any longer and you'll see almost every player on the team settle for more threes than is desirable from an attacking standpoint. And so if Virginia Tech has an inability to guard at a high level, you should see David DeJulius have the ability of, of getting into the paint and kicking out to open shooters. You should see Landers Nolly have the ability to get more comfortable shots in the mid-range area. You should see the ability of getting Oguama and Lockin more looks at the rim to finish with higher efficiencies. That's sort of where my expectation is on the offensive side of the ball. And I think it is, I think that is something that's important to pay attention to and would be critical for our winning this game. Yeah, no, that that's really well said. And I think even tapping into a bit of the pick and roll action in this game will be huge just because like, I, I think Oguama might actually be the X factor here because he's more physical than anyone Virginia Tech has. Quite frankly, they, they have a backup center who can kind of compete with him, but Oguama has been starting for long enough now that I think, if he truly wants to get to the rim and he kind of plays the pick and roll with, uh, with the Julius there, um, that could be a pretty big advantage for us. And then I think just the way that basketball works, right? Like the Julius having the horrible couple games that he just had, you know, I, I think the dam is about to break in our favor there. I mean, I, I would be floored if he has another really bad game, right? Like I, I just think the bounces start going your way at some point. And, and this is, this is definitely a get right spot. This is not a great defense. Right. So I think all around here, my only concern is that they just outscore us because they are really, really good shooters. So if we can, if we can keep that at bay, I think we're in a good spot here. There's risk on defense. I yeah. mean, I, I like to think we're going to lock down, but we know what our defense is comprised of. You know, there yeah. are weaknesses. There are there are points of attack. We've seen our team get backdoored. We've seen our team go through stretches of giving up layups, and so it's imperative for West to figure out a way to mitigate that and to get more execution out of this team defensively than is than is typical you know i would say at least 30 minutes of really solid defense would probably do the job allowing for 10 minutes of kind of losing our heads getting beat back door and probably, and the, last having, <laughs> probably the last 10 if, if history repeats itself um something to mention about this game that i think is an interesting wrinkle it gives us this one last home game that yeah. we weren't necessarily expecting and the wrinkle in this home game is you know, I've, I've been pleading with you for we're, we talked earlier this year about potentially making the pilgrimage to Cincinnati to sign to see your favorite college basketball team in person. Didn't shake out this year for, for a multitude of reasons. I imagine I, I blame myself merely for not pushing it further and probably falling out of uh, touch there for a stretch. But I will say this, the way Cincinnati typically works is you have the most rabid fans in the upper decks, the cheap yeah. seats. 
the folks who who love this team passionately, they have their season tickets and they they get them at a price point that's affordable for the average man. Those folks are not always heard and felt at the arena like they used to be. And the red sweaters in the lower bowl, they aren't necessarily always on time or always in their seats or always as rowdy. And so you're not getting that historic fifth, third home court advantage that we've we've seen in the 90s and early 2000s. This game's a little different. Tickets are flying off the shelf. I know tickets don't fly off the shelf, but the the online purchasing portal for Cincinnati Bearcats tickets were insane today. And the price point is incredibly affordable. And as per the anecdotal evidence in the Catskeller Social Club Discord, you've got a lot of those upper deck folks making their way down to courtside, making their way down to the lower deck. And I'm anticipating that we're going to see, and it's going to feel like one of the best home court advantages of the season, probably outside Xavier. I think it's going to be right up there with a really, really strong home home court. And that bodes well for, for a game like this, I imagine. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, give, give this, give this fan base an, an, uh, an affordable excuse to get up for game. And, and I think they're there. Right. So um, no, that's a great point. And, and we kind of discussed pre-podcast that it's about a 50-50 game, I'd say this one. So in a 50-50 game, a, a rabid home court is a huge advantage, right? So um, I, uh, I'm i definitely excited for that, man. Like, I, I think we've been so starved of <laughs> postseason basketball that, you know, I don't even care if it's the NIT. It may as well be the Super Bowl because I, I, I want to win this thing so bad. And I feel like a lot of the fan base shares that sentiment. And, I mean, especially just going out the way we went out against Houston, like, um, you know, I, I trust this team a thousand times more off of a big loss than a big win. You know, just the character of this team, you know, like it's, <laughs> they're very much, uh, they feel good about themselves. They take their foot off the gas and they get their asses kicked. But when they feel bad about themselves, they tend to show up. So I, uh, I feel pretty good in that respect. Um, so, you know, shifting gears here and assuming they do win, right? That's where um, I wanted to, you've got, you're kind of good at this podcasting thing. You've got that, <laughs> you know, usually I'm transitioning for Hummer. I'm not transitioning for you. You're transitioning yeah. all by yourself. It's impressive. I appreciate that, man. But uh, assuming that we do win here, right? We actually face the total opposite of Virginia Tech and then some. So we, you know, if everything shakes out according to seating and whatnot, we'd be playing Rutgers, right? I think Rutgers is a almost 200 offense on Ken Palm and they're the fifth best defensive team in the country. So they are like the way we're, we're there, everything Mick Cronin ever wanted to be. They're a total brick squad. They can't shoot, but my God, the defense is impressive. So um, I, I, I would actually really, really look forward to that game. I, I'd be kind of scared of us in terms of the, the, just the pressure they would put on us. Um, they have Paul Mulcahy here. Where, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's just one of those old school college guys, like white dude with a headband. And he's an absolute <laughs> gamer. Uh, he, they have a guy named McConnell, who's one of the best defenders in the Big Ten. Um, he could cause us a lot of problems. Um, and they have a legitimate big who uh, I think is a lot meaner and a lot nastier than uh, our boy Odie or Vic there. But um, on the bright side, they can't really shoot. So if we score 65 points in that game, we probably win. So it's uh, it's an interesting matchup there. Uh, but if history tells us anything, scoring 65 against a top level defense is something that's grown. That's proved to be challenging for us. I would, I would, yeah. I would also remind people. Yes. Rutgers is a top five defense in Ken Palm. 
Houston is number four. Yeah. Houston, they're they're Houston level defensively. And that's something that we haven't seen Wes Miller and this team have an answer for. If yeah. you can defend, we're we're thwarted pretty quickly, which is I, I don't remember having a team that I I mean, look, we're we're Cincinnati Bearcat fans. We haven't rooted for prolific offensive teams in the past. So that's it's this statement doesn't mean much, but to watch a team go from an Arizona type performance or the types of shooting performances you see, you've seen against the likes of of SMU or Central Florida, even where they're they're executing on all cylinders, shots are going in. Landers Nolly's kind of you know doing the hand gestures. They're taunting the opponent. They they're feeling themselves. The night and day approach you see from that to any time you put a defense that's worth anything, it's completely night and day. And the execution goes out the window. And it doesn't even look like they're trying the same stuff. And in, in fact, it degrades into that you know, step back three, pull up three. I'm not going to give the effort it takes to actually get in the paint anymore. Like, so to me, when I, when I see a matchup like that really doesn't matter how bad Rutgers is shooting the ball. I'm yeah. terrified of that matchup for this team. No, I mean, that's completely fair. I, I mean, I, I also want to counter punch by saying like Houston probably is also a top 20 offense in the country. So, you know, while, while, while they're doing the right things on defense, 11. they're also going 11. Yeah. They're also going down and scoring the other way. Right. So even, even a Memphis as, as probably skewed as they are defense to offense, like, um, you know, Rutgers would have a considerably worse offense than these teams. So, I mean, at least if they're locking us down, the odds of them converting at the other end, like it could be like a 50-50 type game with five minutes left, right? So, um, but I, I think these games actually give us for the first time, I mean, not for the first time, but for, you know, the first time against some new blood, a chance for West Miller to beat, a, let's say a quote unquote tournament team, but a team that has some, some I don't know, some, some validity to them, you know, not a bottom feeder AAC team. You know, like, like these wins to me actually matter. Like I would be impressed if we beat Virginia Tech, I'm impressed. If we beat Rutgers and Virginia Tech, I'm, I mean, really I'm, impressed. I'm, I'm going to be really happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't lie. I mean, people kind of have historically been all over the NIT from a, you know, it's, it doesn't count. No one cares. It's a loser tournament, consolation bracket, whatever, whatever. But like, it's not like the players on the on the court really want to lose this game. I mean, unless you're watching USF or UCF, I promise they'll, they'll want to lose to get out of here. But <laughs> most teams that are in this thing are going to want to win it, right? These guys have pride. So, um, yeah, man. Generally, but I actually think that's a reflection on coaching too. Like you want to yeah. see if you can really rally the troops, if you can get these guys bought into the NIT. It's, it's not always the case. Now, the champions from last year were being coached by a guy who got fired mid-tournament, I believe. Yeah. Right. I, I think Travis Steele was let go before an NIT game. Like they met yeah. him in the office and were basically like, dude, you're out of here. We've got a way better option. He's going to take us to the tournament in the first year. Yeah. You you are you are not the guy. Um yeah. but there's other times where you you see teams that sort of falter and show a level of apathy when it comes to this tournament. I'll be curious to see what West Miller gets out of this team. I suspect they're going to show up. I think that they have pride. You pointed it out before. This is a team that does respond well to losses. Yeah. They tend to have, a, there's an evident level of pride that comes with how they play. Now it lacks consistency and Hummer and I have preached that however many times this season, they, they are not a consistent basketball team, but they are going to respond to being beaten by Houston so soundly and, and yeah. looking so helpless during that game. Yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind that these guys care and like they're passionate. I think where we, where we get into trouble is when 
their passion runs into like a top five team in the country and you just you just kind of keep getting beat down and then it's kind of hard to stay competitive at that point right I, i'm alluding to houston but um you know what's one thing that'll be really interesting to see as you know the the rumor rumor mills have been swirling here is um what will vic Lockins' engagement look like in this tournament because he might be the most watched man in cincinnati on wednesday night Give me your thoughts on that, because I'm someone, I'm a well-documented Victor Locken truther. I have enjoyed Victor Locken and the thought of Victor Locken since he came on campus. Like, he's the kind of player that I tend to rally around. Everyone knows that I was a big Mamadou Diara guy. They're very different players, but there's just something about Victor Locken's personality. And then what's turned into a really solid player this season for the Bearcats he offers great rim protection. I think everything he brings to the table is the most valuable resource on this team. I think he impacts winning more than anybody else on this Bearcats team by far. And what I saw was a guy who had a very bad ankle turn. He's been a seven footer who's had fragility issues in the past and recovering from an injury like that varies by athlete. And to me, it's, it's been a slow recovery. I thought Temple was the best he's looked Temple in the American athletic tournament where he was flying all over the place defensively, protecting the rim, blocking shots, not involved heavily offensively. And that's that's more on the guards. That has less to do with him. But there have been people pointing out that they think he seemed disengaged. And Justin Williams alluded to a bit of a blow up on the bench where he's frustrated, but anyone would be in that Houston game. So as someone who's not as partial as I am to Vic Locken, do you see something there? Is there a there there where we have to start watching lock in for portal watch? Like, is there something that I, I'm, I should be like have on my radar? I mean, to me, I, I haven't noticed anything other than I feel like his usage has gone down. I mean, especially in the Houston game, particularly, right. I don't know how many touches he got, but not very many is the answer. Like he was, he was not really a part of the game plan. And if he was Houston took him away um, really quickly so, I mean, it's also really hard for us to 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 sit back here and, and try and read the body language of, of literally like a Russian guy, right? Like, I mean, we don't know Vic Lockin. We don't know what he's about. We don't know if he's angry at himself, if he's angry at the team. Like, you know, there's so many different factors here that's impossible to read into it. But I got to say, I mean, at this point, if he was looking to leave Cincinnati, he probably already would have done it, right? I mean, he's had, he's been through a coaching change now. He basically sat out the whole year with an injury. Like, it's not like he hasn't had options to kind of look elsewhere. Um, and I mean, by all by all accounts, I think he's had a, a, a very successful season. So, I mean, if we're just taking the last kind of post-ankle injury segment of the season, season and, and 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 that's that's what he's reflecting on, I'm sure he's kind of pissed off. But, um, you know, I remember that press conference that he had when after he had that really good game. It was probably um, the game before the ankle turn. And he was saying, like, is he's playing more minutes than ever before he's locked in i'm locked in whatever he's he's you know he's so excited to finish the season strong and then i think that whole the injury derailed it i mean Odie's getting more usage than ever before and i just think it's you know there's so many factors there it's impossible for us to say oh he's out he's looking in the portal you know if someone knows something i don't you know i'd I'd love to hear it but i mean i I think we just gotta but hey you know we have we sorry go ahead well, sometimes sometimes body language means everything, right? When John Brandon is storming off the court with less with with time on the clock and leaving his players behind, there was something to that. Like that body language meant something. The way his players looked after that game meant something. The comments you read on Twitter meant something. 
but also you have to realize like we're seeing only a fraction of all of the interactions happening. So I did actually reach out to a, a Cincy slang and follower after that game and said, give me some body language breakdown from the game. He was at the game in person. Folks in the chat are saying Vic looks super disengaged. And I'm just asking, I'm saying, just give me, give me something. I'm it's a bit of a leading question. Yeah. And he said, he did say, yeah, Vic was super pouty. Everyone aside from the bench guys just looked like they had no juice. Dan seemed like the only guy that really gave a shit. He was hyping guys up and being positive from five rows up. You could just tell they didn't have it and it didn't feel like they had a chance, especially when it snowballed in the second half. He did, he said, there's nothing overly negative. They were just, they were all cool with each other. No yelling, just mellow and didn't see a whole lot of fire. So I read that. I thought it was good feedback to me. I'm, I'm not overly worried, but I do think Vic's usage has changed. He's gotten the ball less since he was injured. He has not been able to get re reengaged in the offense the same way, which in a lot of is disappointing to me because Odio Guama was being incorporated with such success. You would think with Vic Locken, he could be utilized in a similar capacity with even greater results because he is more talented and has better finishing than, than Odio Guama. It has simply not been the case. Yeah, and and I think that brings us to to a reason as to why this matchup is so good because. Like Virginia Tech's center is he's like a six nine, relatively soft big. And like if we're really trying to exploit the weakness there, it's gonna be inside to Vic, inside to Odie. Like it's gonna be pick and roll with Dave. Like, like it, the the way to beat Virginia Tech is not to be in a three-point shooting contest. Like I, I know, I know we're still gonna do that for a lot of the game because that's our DNA. But at the end of the day, like we need to get points in the paint near the rim if we're gonna if we're gonna beat them physically. Um and, and I think whether it's Vic, whether it's Odie, you know, what Vic's impact on the game, you know, uh, on Wednesday night, that might be our biggest test right there, right? Because I, I think our overall theme of this podcast, I, say, I would say it's impossible to compare any type of our success against Houston. Like, it's just such a mismatch that trying right. to, you know, take Vic's performance against Houston, like, again, just throw it all out, right? It none, It's kind of a wash at that point. But, you know, against Virginia Tech, it's a different story. And if Vic has four points and two rebounds against Virginia Tech, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit scared, man. <laughs> I can't lie. So, If we had upset Houston in the AAC tournament, John Cunningham would have given West Miller a 10-year contract extension. Like, Does he I, not already have a 10-year contract? <laughs> I, I would say it, it, that's why the NIT is fascinating. It, I, think, I think you kind of encapsulated it well this is an opportunity to see us against the types of opponents that don't really exist in the american athletic yeah. and if they keep winning games you get to see more of those matchups and maybe get a better picture of how sustainable the current west miller approach is as we as the competition level goes up into the future um but you know the big 10 or i'm sorry the big 12 seven out of 10 teams made the tournament this season yeah. you're adding the number one team in the country um, the Big 12 is a completely different beast. And so even, even compared to the NIT, this is not the measuring stick, but it is it is a measuring stick, and it's a better one than we've seen. I should give you the opportunity, in the event the Bearcats get through Virginia Tech, which I would expect. I think that's a game you should expect to win with the home yeah. court advantage and with the type of matchup it is. Let's say they they pull the upset on Rutgers, which we would call an upset based on how they defend. And frankly, they were they were one of the last teams to be snubbed from the tournament. They would, they would make a case for that. They should have been in 
a la Bearcats in, in 2005, 2006. Who, who would be the most likely opponent in the event the Bearcats get through those first two rounds? I see New Mexico, Utah Valley, Colorado, Seton Hall. Of those four, who do you expect to make it through that gauntlet to potentially face the Bearcats in the quarterfinals? Yeah, I think New Mexico would be would be my my hot choice there. They were actually ranked early in the season. Uh, they have an electric player named uh, I think his name is Jalen House. Um, they have two really prolific scorers and and a really fun team. You might even recognize their big uh, Morris Udesi from Wichita State. He, I do. He's, yes. Yeah, he's, he's their big. So um, I think because Colorado, their best player, he he has an injury, KJ Simpson. So he's like a game time decision, and he's also like a sophomore. So. I'd be surprised if they did any damage. So I think New Mexico would probably be the team to make a run. And I think they'll care about this tournament a lot. Um, they're actually coached by Rick Pitino's son as well. So they've got some, uh, they've got some juice. Um, so Richard. Yeah. Yeah. New Mexico would be a good one. Um, and, and again, I like these matchups are all fun for different reasons because New Mexico, I think would be the most balanced team of the three. Like we basically are playing the offensive juggernaut first, the defensive juggernaut second. And then New Mexico, which is a bit of a balance of both. And again, in my you know fair opinion here, I think the the American Conference and the Mountain West Conference are not too far apart. The only difference is one of us has Houston. Um, so I, I think it's a very comparable you know matchup there from a conference standpoint, from a skill standpoint. Um, and and again, none of these games are layups, and none of them are also like unattainable. So there we're we're in a really kind of exciting spot here, you know. But. Uh, <laughs> Just got to win some games to get to that point, man. <laughs> so the college basketball nerd in you give, yeah. give the, give the folks listening a game or two that you're looking at and circling to say, I, I need to make sure I'm watching that game. This is one that I'm excited about, be it style of play, be it certain players that are on your radar that you think people may have not seen play before. Who would you recommend, you know, give me your top three games of round one. Outside of the top three games of round one outside of the Bearcats. And this is not planned. This is classic Coomer. I'm just going to, I'm putting people on their toes. I, I never have an outline, but you know, and I'll, I'll filibuster for a minute, but I think, you know, you've got a lot of interesting teams here from varying conferences. It, yeah. It's big names like Oregon, big names like Oklahoma state, bigger names like Rutgers, but then you've got the Santa Clara's of the world. You've got, um, UC Irvine, Sam Houston, like teams with good records, but no sort of cachet. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good one. So basically the bracket that I had lined out here only has basically the second round and onward, but um, you know, going to some first round matchups, I think one really interesting one is um, Santa Clara versus Sam Houston there. Sam Houston's kind of been a juggernaut in their own league. Again, it's like, like a whack or something, but Santa Clara has this Polish dude and he averages like 20 points a game and like nine rebounds. Um, couldn't say his last name if I tried, but that would be an exciting one. Um, and I think the, the, the matchup of the first round, because it could be exciting because I think the, the popular team is going to lose is, uh, Michigan and Toledo. Uh, I think Toledo is going to, going to take that one. Toledo is an offensive like juggernaut and Michigan is just a team that's been falling apart. So any opportunity to see Hunter Dickinson fall in his face, I'm, I'm all for it. So <laughs> I think he'll probably have 20 and 10 in those empty performance. Well, Toledo wins by 15. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Take it to the bank. I love it. That's one that we're going to have to put in the degenerate safe space here as oh, a, uh, a potential go-to upset pick by Mitch. That's great. Yeah, man. And then I'll take, I'll take a second here and just kind of say, because if, if we do end up progressing by some miracle of God to the, to the latter rounds here, like, you know, I think, like I was saying, New Mexico is a really exciting team to play, be Jack to play them. Clemson would be, again, on our side of the bracket. To me, that would be 
it would either be like Clemson, UAB, Annie Kennedy rematch, or like Vanderbilt. Um, but I think Clemson would be really fun. John Newman revenge game. Um, basically, really well coached team, balanced on both ends, really good execution. Um, they have a nice big dog matchup with Lockin, a lot of perimeter guys that would match up with our guys. Like, I, I think that would be, it'd be a fun one, very balanced team. Um, and then, I think John Newman getting his revenge on the bench injured is poetic and fitting against Clemson. Hey man, like, let's just win the whole thing here and let's, let's <laughs> knock off every tough opponent to get there. Um, and well, then, look, if you're going to play in a tournament like this, you should be trying to win it. Like we're in yeah. the NIT, try and win the damn thing. Yeah. I mean. It, it, it's it's the i think the worst possible outcome here is showing up and losing one game and and doing doing all this like work just to go home right <laughs> like, i totally I agree mean, i totally yeah. agree you at very at very least have to go one and one in this tournament especially being the home team you know if the home team goes oh and one you're 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 leaving the the crowd off on a sour note there well um, after the after the temple beat down i i thought to myself what what's What's the bad outcome here? Like playing Houston, it's house money. They're the number one team. What is the actual bad outcome? And it was what happened. The only bad outcome of that game was a start to finish destruction, which is what happened. Yeah. And that's I, that's why I, I'm I, glad the NIT exists to get that out of my head and that taste out of my mouth heading into next season. I know. I, I asked you before the game. I said, I said, what's an outcome here that that you can you can live with, right? And the line before the game was nine point five for Houston. And we both thought that line was a little bit big. It's like, we thought it was just a, like, I said, minus seven is a more fair line. And we were both way wrong. <laughs> way <laughs> like, wrong. Not close. That was a good first half spread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, you know, I think the, the one thing that's exciting about this tournament overall is like, if let's say we do get to the final, we can end up playing like a, a blue blood. Like we could end up playing Villanova in the final. And I don't care what their record is. Playing Nova is is cool. And I promise oh, yeah. you they'll, they will kick our ass. <laughs> I think we're incentivized to win a couple games here because there's a lot of fun matchups once you get past Rutgers. You know, there's a yeah. lot of really fun potential oh, yeah. outcomes there and really big names, programs with a lot of good track records and success. And so for me, you know, I'd love to see us obviously get through Virginia Tech. That's the bare minimum. But then go against a team like Rutgers that we've struggled against and figure out how to execute against them. Show us that you can execute. And frankly, there's going to be a lot of overlap between this year's team and next year's team. So there's there's benefit to these guys playing together and showing and learning how to execute against teams that we've struggled against so far this season. No, for sure. So, I mean, I, I think at this point, we just kind of kind of sit back and, and watch it. But I'm uh, I'm excited for it, man. Like, it's really one of those things where we have everything to gain and nothing to lose, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things. And you 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 know, we kind of alluded to this earlier. Really. We we know that these guys are at least going to show up for it. We know that they're not just going to be like they're too cool for it because this is. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. This is most of the team's first postseason game ever, right? Is that is that not fair to say? Mitch, this is the first podcast I've ever done previewing a postseason. Okay. We started this podcast in 2019. Like this has been a, a very ill-timed podcast inception where the yeah. Bearcats don't make tournaments, don't play in tournaments, and there's nothing to talk about in the postseason except just drowning in our own sorrows. Yeah, this well, is, that says it all right there. <laughs> yeah, this is, an this is a true opportunity. I've never talked or thought about the NIT so much. I appreciate you hopping in the, the Catskiller social discord and trying to pick up everyone's spirits and yeah. legitimately selling how excited you are. I think that came through in this podcast. I think people will probably have something to look forward to now with NIT basketball, which is not something that most Bearcat fans would think. But I also am glad as a fan base and, and as a as a staff and program, 
we've moved beyond this whole we're too good for the NIT. Yeah. We're not too good for the NIT. This no. is what this is this is where we are right now. This is who yeah. we are right now. Now let's play our way through some victories and build upon whatever successes we have in this tournament, whatever successes we don't have in this tournament and start playing some better basketball in 2023, 2024. 100%, man. If 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 Villanova, Oregon and Michigan are in this tournament, we're, we are not too good for this tournament. <laughs> so, you know, let's try and win it, man. You know, we're here. We may as well do the damn thing. That's right. That's right. Well, Mitch, it's been a pleasure as usual. You're not too active on Twitter, but I will say you do get in there and mix it up in the social discord, which, which I appreciate. And if people want to follow your work, that's where I'd recommend following is getting in the Catskeller social club discord. This guy tears it up and he's not afraid to, to kind of, Give some opinions. I, I tend to think that you've got a pretty good nose for uh, or pretty good eye for for what's good in college basketball. And I mentioned it to you offline in the past. You are with 100% certainty going to be our official college basketball correspondent next season. And I've got a lot of really cool ideas for how to do that. You've, you've been an awesome guest on this podcast now three times. So appreciate it as always. Love the enthusiasm. Love the fandom. And next year, the pilgrimage for Big 12 basketball. I think that's what we do. Yes, sir. No, happy to uh, happy to be here and always happy to talk some college hoops. So thanks for having me, brother. All right. Appreciate it, Mitch. Go Bearcats.